Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Whether or not you follow me on Twitter uh, is, you know, kind of irrelevant. But hopefully you know what Twitter is and you know that there's a lot of people on Twitter and that there's a lot of communication happening on Twitter uh, every single day. So Adam Weber, who has been um, here on um, uh, on this program a couple of times, many of you know him um, as a pastor and a friend. Um We've had him on as the author of Love Has a Name. Anyway, I think that starting this week, apparently, uh, according to his own Twitter feed, which, see, I should know. I should know all this, shouldn't I, Paul? Um, is it true? Is this true? Is the Conversation podcast airing on My Faith Radio starting this week? Yes, this weekend, yes. Well, see, there you go. See, it's good to have Paul on because Paul actually knows stuff. I don't stuff, know the exact Carmen time, unfortunately, know. but uh, yes, it is starting. All right. So um, let's see. Uh, Adam Weber says on his Twitter feed that, yes, he's totally excited. Um, Each episode is being condensed down to 28 minutes so that it fits in. Uh, Paul and I are familiar with that need uh, and the podcasting format. So the Conversation podcast is going to air here on Faith Radio starting this week. So that's pretty exciting. There you go. Well, something I learned from Twitter about what we're doing right here. I love it. I I love that. All right. So where in the word are you today? Who are you praying for today? How are you praying for them? It's Tuesday of Holy Week. I hope you are um, actively engaged in the process of the passion of the Christ. Uh, If you have not done so, and maybe you don't even know it's available, The Chosen uh, Season 1 is airing this week for free on multiple platforms. If you haven't engaged with that or used that as a ministry opportunity, let me encourage you to do so. All kinds of cool stuff going on. So just want to lift up the blessing that it is to know Christ. There's lots of people living in the world today, right now, in this moment, who don't know that it's Tuesday of Holy Week and don't even know what that means. If you if you were to say, hey, it's Tuesday of Holy Week, and they'd be like, what are you talking about? Um, gives you an opportunity, right, to talk about Jesus. And you made reference to Palm Sunday, and somebody said, I don't know what that means. Um, would you be able to tell them about the triumphal entry of Jesus into the city of Jerusalem uh, at the Passover? What the Passover is, what that means, the blood of the lamb um, on the on the door frames of, of the Hebrew people, God passing over in the plagues that he brought upon the Egyptians. It's a part of the Exodus story. And then Jesus being the lamb of God who who came to redeem us and that his blood is going to be spilled on this Good Friday at a place called Golgotha or Calvary on a cross um, outside the city of Jerusalem. Um, it, it, would you would you be in a position to talk about that? Uh, that is really my hope. The ardent hope of my heart is that what we're doing here every single day is part of equipping you to share with others the good news of God's saving grace in Jesus Christ. Whatever else we might be doing here, I hope we're doing that. 
And so be encouraged during this Holy Week to share the good news of the gospel with someone else um, in, in word, yes, and in deed as well. All right, let us be, um, let us be praying today also for those who are suffering, um, those near and dear and those far, far away. All right, Dr. Brett Nix is going to join me next from the critical uh, from the critical from the Christian Medical and Dental Association it is also critical um, we're going to talk about a new conscience protection law in Arkansas we're also going to talk about um, what is weighing us down from covid-19 that's up next on mornings with Carmen Joining me now, Dr. Brett Nix from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. Welcome back, sir. Hey, happy Tuesday morning, and of course, happy Easter week. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It is Holy Week. Um, So let's talk about what's going on in Arkansas. I understand there is a new medical conscience law that's protecting doctors who believe that, you know, sex change is morally wrong, and this this law protects them from being forced to do things uh, contrary to their conscience. Yeah, so the Arkansas governor, uh, Hutchinson, on Friday signed into law legislation that allows doctors to refuse to treat someone because of their own personal religious or moral objections to things that may not necessarily align with, number one, their faith-based background, but number two, what uh, science might actually suggest. Uh, It's a right of conscience so long as the emergency care of an individual is not at compromise. Uh, what that means is, yeah, there's going to be certain circumstances in an emergency situation where uh, sometimes, let's say, that puts the mother's life at risk uh, because they have a, uh, a pregnancy that is, has a problem, maybe an ectopic or otherwise, it may not be a survivable pregnancy. And those are things that we see every single day. Um, but what they're really talking about is the issue where it's trying to allow the balance for those types of things where you may have maybe an adolescent uh, that is – uh, coming forward and saying, I want to go ahead and have surgery. I want to go ahead and have hormonal therapies or different types of things uh, that, you know, quite frankly, when we look at the the literature that's out there, it's very, very difficult in this current society as we have, as we stand both from a cancel culture perspective, but from a science perspective to really understand uh, the value proposition of that. When we look at the body, we understand the basic uh, genetics that God created us to have uh, and some of the things where the lines have been crossed. So this is being um, reported, you know, I mean, I think that there are ways that um, that people are reporting this as being, you know, banning health care for trans youth. How might you um, encourage a doctor to respond if, you know, somebody is like, well, this is just this is just keeping people from having access to the health care that uh, that they should have access to? Well, I think the reality is we're talking about healthcare, and when we look at such circumstances like this, what we are doing when we look at population health is how do we address the simple things of immunizations? How do we address the issues of our ongoing obesity epidemic, and and looking at the social, physiological, psychological uh, aspects of health, and ensuring that we do have good healthcare? Uh, I think that we many times we look at these circumstances, uh, we have to recognize that providing a pill is oftentimes not the answer to the problem that's that's at hand. And in many circumstances around these ones like this, oftentimes it ends up having uh, longstanding issues downstream. Uh, you can look at much of the literature as it relates to uh, many of the projects that were done in the 70s and 80s related to uh, 
uh, gender reversal surgeries and those types of things and look at the data that is coming out and has come out from those uh, that really show substantial issues from both psychological processing uh, issues for the individuals, uh, but also substantial amounts of regret uh, regarding uh, those processes as well. And so, you know, really what this is, this is an opportunity for us to really ask the question rather than to jump into something that may be something driven really by societal pressure right now, but to be able to engage the conversation around who we are when we're created, uh, who we are right now uh, as it stands, and what are the challenges that we, we are facing? And can we address those challenges through a conversation, through other means, uh, rather than necessarily throwing an action and or a pill towards that direction. Okay, so um, you and I are going to take a very brief break. When we come back, we're going to address one of the topics that you surfaced right there, which is uh, the obesity, obesity epidemic. Uh, COVID-19 uh, has been a time during which people have, like, packed it on. Uh, people have gained a lot of weight, and that is weighing uh, weighing us down. Um, I actually had a conversation with a friend. She's a couple of years older than me. Um, and she said, look, I just want, I just, I, I'm, I'm tired of trying. Like, I just want, you know, I want the magic, I want the, the magic answer to this. Um, so when we come back, uh, I know we're not going to give people a magic answer, but let's, let's have a, let's have a hard conversation about just how much weight the average person has actually gained during the pandemic and what to do about it. I'm talking with Dr. Brett Nix uh, of the Christian Medical and Dental Association, and we'll be right back. Give me Dr. Brett Nix and I are going to go from uh, talking here to meddling, maybe from preaching to meddling. Um, so just how much weight has the average American put on or packed on during uh, COVID? And, and maybe what are some very, very practical things we can do to turn the, turn the fat bus around? Boy, I tell you, you know, it's interesting. There are several studies that are out there right now. And again, these are small composite studies that look at just general population but across the U.S., the suggestion right now is that over 61% of people in the U.S., 61% gained some weight during the COVID pandemic. Now, let's break this down a little bit. Before the pandemic, about 4 in 10 Americans, so 95 million Americans, were already obese by definition. And within that time, within COVID, across the population, two out of five, two out of five gained weight that was greater than 15 pounds the average weight gain, 29 pounds over the last oh. year. So that is fascinating. So when you think about this, many people are thinking, okay, goodness gracious, I gained three, I gained five. The average in this population that they were looking at uh, was up to, up to 29 pounds on average. So that may have been an unusual cohort. I just, that's a, a really high number to me. But it's not uncommon for us to hear people talking about the average, you know, COVID-19, I mean, 19 pounds, like people would say from the college years where people talk about the freshman 15, uh, same type of a concept. And what's amazing about this is it's a tremendous amount of weight for a population that is already struggling with an obesity epidemic. We see it in children. We see it in adults. And with COVID, it's very, very concerning because what we already know is that if you are obese, you're at risk of getting COVID and getting a more severe case of COVID. But during the time of the pandemic, we have people who were not in that stage now adding on 29 pounds, increasing their BMI and getting into that and adding risk of things, not just of COVID, but now type 2 diabetes. Again, another risk factor for getting worsening COVID. And you can see how this starts to snowball. It's, uh, it's quite concerning. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking that, you know, it, it increases your uh, well, it increases your health risks in all kinds on all kinds of fronts. So let's um, let's talk about. 
super practical places and ways, because this can just be like debilitating, depressing and, you know, pull the covers up over my heads and, you know, get the bonbons and stay in bed, which is not what we want to do. We want to turn it around. So let's talk about some very, very practical, maybe even sort of quick start things um, that you might recommend. Well, I'll tell you, it starts with mental health. Keep in mind, people were so struck with fear and COVID that mental health then starts changing your body's uh, processing. You start having stress hormones and you want to eat more. You sleep less. All the things that go against a healthy lifestyle. And when you look at the science surrounding weight gain to explain the process, you know, what it really comes down to is just a simple process. Number one, which is you need to make sure you're having connection with people around you so that your mental health is in a better place, number one. Number two, you need to make sure that you're getting good quality sleep. Uh, because of course, again, the absence of good quality sleep increases those stress hormones, increases the likelihood that you're gonna eat poorly uh, and the quality of what you eat is going to go down. But then again, portion control. Avoid the snacks in between meals. When you have a meal, decrease the amount to balance out the level of exercise. And if your level of activity is used to be where you would have to walk substantially while you were at work, but now you're working from home, recreate that opportunity if you have the opportunity to step outside and walk in a safe manner, get outside, find some sunshine, but build in that routine that has been devoid for the last year. Uh, and then understand that sometimes when you're sitting at a desk, just because you're at home, it's a whole lot easier to walk into your kitchen, uh, you know, come into the process of trying to avoid that. Or if you do remove what you've been eating and find things that are healthier, things that are uh, first fruits, things like, you know, apples and, and, uh, and vegetables and, and maybe, you know, slice up some carrots, or anything that is not processed is obviously going to be better for you. Those are simple things that all of us can do. Uh, none of them are, are a panacea. None of them are going to take that weight off. Once it's on, it takes some time. It takes dedication and effort going forward. But I'll tell you, it's something that each one of us need to be doing, especially given the underlying status of our society and the fact that COVID is still here. Yeah, I think that, you know, for the, those people who are listening who were hoping you were going to say, um, oh, you know what, there's actually uh, there's a new pill on the horizon. There's a new, um, you know, there's a there's a new magic formula. Um, there's not. This is um, this is a conversation that we have frequently with Dr. Linda Mental. This is a conversation that we have in an ongoing way with Dr. Brett Nix um, and others. And, you know, here's the thing, Brett, we all know it. So. I think that's part of the challenge um, that we face. Like, we know it. We know that the right thing to eat, we know the right thing to do, um, but somehow we sit down on the couch instead of putting our tennis shoes on and going uh, for a walk outside. So, I yeah, just, you I, know, it's, it's hard. It is hard. And, you know, the study was fascinating. It said 54% of people were exercising less and 68% admitted that they were snacking more. It, it's that simple balance, but it's not that it's not what's seen in one day that makes the difference. It's that practice over the course of time, three months, six months, up to a year. All of a sudden, day by day by day, you go from a place you never thought you would be to where you are now. And you're like, OK, how do I get back? Well, it's reversing the process and it's not in one day. It's going to be in three months. It's going to be in six months. And I'll tell you what, the mental health piece that goes with this and the process in your mind, this week is the best week to refocus that. Why? Because this is Easter week. Ask yourself, mm -hmm. where's your focus and shift it away from the fear of this last year and start moving into the faith, the things that God has put forward before you. Lean into the truth. And again, in that, that's where you find life. That's the direction we need to be heading. Yeah. And maybe we could focus on walking by faith uh, step by step, right? So we got uh, Dave in North Dakota texting in saying, I suggest a step goal 
my phone keeps track and I have lost weight during COVID. So congratulations, David. That's awesome. Um, Brett, on my phone told me on Sunday when I went to bed, I was feeling uh, more tired than, than usual. Um, and it might have been because I walked 5.8 miles on Sunday. We, we had no power. We had a flood. We had all kinds of uh, efforts underway on our property to, you know, secure our animals and those kinds of things. And, and over the course of the day, I walked 5.8 miles, which was a lot for me. Absolutely. And it's simple things like that to, to the person that, that texted into you. That's exactly right. It is the simple things where people say, well, exercise isn't the solution. No, but it's part of the solution. It in and mm-hmm. of itself is not. But the balance of exercise, the balance of intake, uh, and then again, everybody's bodies are slightly different. What you're taking in and everything else, it is that fine balance that really makes a tremendous difference. And this is a legacy issue. This is not just about how you feel today. This is about the ability for you to engage with your family today, the, the your, your grandkids, should you have children downstream, uh, the ability to engage them for a longer duration and have a healthier life where you're not going down the, the obesity pathway with higher risk of coronary heart, uh, uh, heart disease, uh, diabetes, strokes, uh, to avoid those things uh, through a healthy lifestyle. Those are things that are gifts to your children, to your grandchildren that sometimes we just don't see. So um, let's take a couple of minutes to talk about Gen X and millennials. Um, you and I are both reading that they are in worse health than previous generations. It's interesting. So there's some recent studies that have come out again. People will break these things down and say, okay, let's put these different uh, generations into buckets and see what do we find about these ones. And, you know, when you look at these populations, when they talk about the Generation X and the, and the, uh, the Gen Yers, the, really they're breaking these down. They call these the, the generations ones of psychological dysregulation. And what they really mean is they're saying, hey, we've noted increasing problems of blood pressure and cholesterol issues as far as central obesity, meaning the, the belly fat that we see. Uh, as well as a high, higher level of uh, substance use leading to body's inflammation. And they say, well, so what's the story here? And they say, well, the de- declining health among these younger generations doesn't seem to be just an individual problem. It's a generational problem generated by societal changes. And what it is is simply stuff that we know to be true, which is we are less active. We are more attuned in that window of time to those where computers came online, where people started seeing them, whether it be the early Apple's or the early uh, PCs back in the 80s and moving forward to an increasing focus on these things. Uh, and so in that process, it didn't matter whether this was an issue between uh, if you are of a Caucasian background or a black background or Hispanic back- background. Uh, concurrent with that, they saw increasing rates of depression and anxiety that did not ex- exist uh, through the baby boomer population. And as the physical health declined, the issues that we're seeing as far as the uh, underlying conditions and the mental health associated issues have increased. So we're seeing issues with obesity. We are seeing issues with chronic illnesses uh, and a lot of this in these psychological areas of depression and anxiety uh, that had not existed uh, to the same degree in other populations. And so the last two cycles of generations, the question is why? And, you know, some speculate that it is a process where family is not quite the same as it was. Uh, Perhaps it is that uh, a moral and ethical uh, basis for determining things has changed. Uh, And so lifestyles and decisions have uh, have morphed from that. Uh, And there's also just the the stressors by which uh, that's the cycle of time of things that we see, whether this be the 24 hour news cycle uh, and the things that society puts forward has put a greater stress psychologically on these last two generations that are that are coming through. We don't have the same data yet on the millennials, but uh, time will tell. 
Yeah, I think the pace of information, uh, the the need to process so much information so quickly, um, the fact that we do know what's going on um, around the world all the time. I mean, it, there is a um, there's a weight that comes with all of that. And then I think the fact that we don't live in the kind of multi generational contact that that we lived in in prior generations, and and yet we feel a burden of responsibility for those who are older than us. I, I think there are a lot of complicating factors. Um, I suspect that uh, that childbearing and conversations about the percentage of people in Gen X and, and millennials who have had abortions, I, I, I suspect there's a lot of stress, psychological stress on a lot of people from a lot of different um, uh, directions. Uh, and so I don't know that we can point to causality in all of these things, but the, when you pile all of that up together, um, yeah, you can see why the why the burden of stress on the body would be great. I think you're right. I think you'll find a lot of different associations that are driving this. Uh, and the reality is when you look at it, um, I don't think that there's going to be one individual thing that's going to be the answer. Uh, but that being said, just like you said, the multi-generational aspect, think about how often in this population they've had the chance to sit down and have conversations uh, with their elders, those that have been one or two generations removed, uh, and to be able to listen into what life was like for them, the challenges they faced through things like the Great Depression and the wars, uh, World War, you know, those of us who have been uh, able to talk to people from that uh, lived through World War One or World War Two, for that matter, and have those types of conversations about how different things were, the perceptions of things, and what you stood for uh, as an individual and as a, and as a country, uh, let alone from a faith-based perspective. Uh, those conversations don't happen as often today, and I think there's something missing that. Yeah, absolutely. All right, that's Dr. Brett Nix. You guys, um, you guys can can find him online. Um, and you can also find him at the Christian Medical and Dental Association. Brett, thank you, as always, so much. Thanks, Carmen. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. We'll be right back. If I told you you were going to spend 90,000 hours doing something, wouldn't you want uh, that to be in the direction of the gospel, advancing the gospel always and in all ways? Um, the Great Commission... Uh, we don't often think of as being something that we collaborate with Jesus in, in terms of our vocation. So we're going to talk with Dave Brewing about the great opportunity, making disciples of Jesus in every vocation. That's up next for our Mornings with Carmen. Do-it-yourself Christianity isn't much encouragement to the done-in and worn-out. Try a little harder is little encouragement for the abused. This is Max Lakeva. At some point, we need more than good advice. We need help. Somewhere on this journey, we realize that the 50-50 proposition is too little. We need help from the inside out, the kind of help Jesus promised. I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper to be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept Him because it does not see Him or know Him, but know Him because He lives with you and will be in you. Note the dwelling place of God, in you, not near us, above us, but in us. In the hidden recesses of our beings dwells not an angel, not a philosophy, not a genie, but God. Imagine that. This is Max Lucado. All right, I 
am thrilled to be welcoming Dave Brewing to the program today. He's a devoted disciple of Jesus. He's engaged in equipping the church across a number of platforms. He is a pastor. Um, He has written a number of resources. He heads up Lion Share Leadership Group, which you could think of as either lions, plural, chasing rabbits, or the lion share of something because there's only one S in the middle, and I say that because you need that to find them. Lion's share. Lion's hair. I know. I just a play on words, which I like the way you make the play on words with commission, so we're going to talk about that. Dave, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. It's good to be with you, Carmen. Trying to set mental hooks in people's minds so they can find lion's share later today. Um, Dave, uh, we all are pretty much workaholics. I mean, we live in kind of a workaholic culture. We define ourselves a lot by what we do. In addition to sort of the nine to five, there is now also the five to nine. So mm-hmm. talk with us about the way we view work um, and and maybe help us understand how we might view that differently and not only our lives be transformed, but the gospel advanced. Yeah, I think one of the key ingredients is this is understanding calling and recognizing that there actually is a call by God upon our lives. I don't, I don't know if you're familiar with this or not, but but we will often use words like work or job, profession, career, and vocation. And we think they all mean the same thing. However, the word calling is rooted in a Latin word, vocatio, that means vocation. And so there really is something that Jesus has intended about our vocation being a primary way of expressing our calling. Okay, so talk about that, because the book, The Great Opportunity, Making Disciples of Jesus in Every Vocation, um, Mm -hmm. you're using the word vocation intentionally. So let's, uh, let's stick with that for a moment. Yeah, so the the way that we look at this is through the lens of God's call on our life, that when we were born, God uniquely wired us for things. For example, there are within us passions that we have. There is uh, natural abilities, acquired skills that we've learned along the way. There are spiritual gifts that are a part of our lives. Plus, then, God gives us opportunities. And as a follower of Jesus, you know, one of the big deal things of our lives, if we call ourselves followers of Jesus— is obeying what God has placed in front of us to do. And so calling has a combination of those kinds of things. And and often we look at our jobs as a place where we can receive payment or I can use my strengths. And it's way, way bigger than that. Yeah. So when you talk about it being way, way bigger than that, um, I I love that. I love that you are um, sort of pulling back the curtain on the reality of the great opportunity that we have Um, in our work environments, as we are people who are called to particular um, spaces and places, but we're really all called to the same thing. So we have this mutual Mm -hmm. calling. Mm -hmm. What is that? Mm -hmm. So the mutual calling uh, is the great commission of Jesus. And as you mentioned earlier, I like to play on the word commission instead of how we usually have it spelled. The intention of Jesus is co-co-dash mission, it's co-missioning with us. And so in Matthew chapter 28, where Jesus tells us to go make disciples, literally, Carmen, at the beginning there where it talks about, you know, go therefore, 
It literally means as you are going. So as you are eating, as you are relating, as you are working. So in other words, disciple making is really the end game. It's not just getting people saved and into churches. That's really important. That has eternal stuff and consequences to it. But Jesus's end game is that, yes, we come to know him. Yes, we know forgiven. And yes, we are heaven bound. But the big picture is we're still here so that we can take younger followers of Jesus, pour the things of of him into their lives so that wherever they are in their family, in their relationships, in their vocation, they can be looking like Jesus. But it goes a step beyond that. It's beyond salt and light. And that is actually finding people who work in your very same vocation, maybe not in your same job, but in your same vocation that you can help mature in the things of God so they better reflect Jesus where they are. I love that you um, that you highlight the word maturity and that you use the idea of a younger believer because this is not actually like an age thing. Um, it's right. not even a stage of life thing. It's a stage of discipleship thing. So a, a younger believer could be 80 and you could be 20. Um, totally. But you— but you are more mature in the faith than they are. And I think that's one of the things that differentiates this from like coaching or mentoring, where we think it has to be a younger person who's somehow behind us in another way. This is a person who's at a different place, not as far along as we are in their experience of walking with Jesus. And so when we come back from a very brief break, Dave Brewing and I are going to talk about the great opportunity, continue our conversation about the great opportunity, making disciples of Jesus in every vocation. And I'm going to invite him to give us some mental hooks to um, to hang some things on. We're going to talk about teach, demonstrate, and replicate. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, I'm going to give you two things right now lionshare.org, one lion, lionshare.org, where um, I'm going to invite you to access some great free downloadable resources today. But also, we've got copies of the book to give away. So if you listen regularly to the program, you know the drill. If you are interested in entering the drawing for the copies of The Great Opportunity that we have available to give away, text the word BOOK to 877-933-2400. Eight four, um, Dave. Let's continue our conversation and let's talk about the a little bit of the how to. Um, so you get a person who says, "All right, so you know, I'm I'm a Christian. Uh, I get it. I should be discipling somebody, uh, other people, even in the place that I work. Um, I don't feel like I'm qualified to disciple anybody. Give them some mental hooks to hang some very tangible things on." Yeah. So you you did a great job of highlighting the difference, Carmen, between mentoring, coaching and disciple making. And I think that's a key thing here is, you know, mentoring is passing something on to somebody that you have. It could be anything. My wife did that on how to bake a great apple pie. You can do it with anything. Coaching is strategically guiding someone towards a discovered end. But disciple making, the difference of this and why it's so important today is because it's always tethering people to God's character, his ways of doing things in the scriptures. And so as a follower of Jesus, wherever you are, you want to be able to know that you're grounded in the truth. And so when when you start looking for somebody to begin to pour things into, to begin to disciple, here's the question that a friend of mine asked me years ago. That's a perfect way to start is ask yourself this question, in whose ears are your words big? 
Let me say that again. In whose ears are your words big? In other words, when you talk with them, you're noticing that not only are they listening to you, but they go do it and they come back for more. That is a, if you want to put it this way, a cue from the Holy Spirit that God has given you unique favor in their life. And I believe he's given us that favor so we can invest deeply so they can grow spiritually. Um, one of the things Dave does is uh, is he speaks to us on the Wisdom Unlocked podcast, uh, and I'm going to encourage you to check that out. The latest episode is 2021 is your great opportunity, so it aligns with the conversation that we are having today. You can connect with all of it at lionshare.org. Um, okay, so Dave, let's talk to the person who says to themselves right now, yeah, this is a really good idea in theory. Maybe there's a pastor listening who's saying, mm-hmm. this is a really good idea in theory. How do, you know, my my people generally know and understand that their work environment should be a place where their faith is walked out and lived out every day. Um, talk to them about how to get get people from sort of the general, hey, this is a good idea, to the practical, you know, get her done. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting. The Barna Group did a survey, and they found that three out of four Christian workers do not connect faith with their work at all. Mm. And wow. And— And yeah, it's a very interesting thing. And yet the changes we want to see, whether it's in our families, churches, our vocations or societies, they do not happen automatically. They only happen because of deliberately reproducing disciples who can reflect Jesus. So when when that same group, the Barna group, asked what a Christian's responsibility was in the workplace, interesting enough— They had about a dozen things, act ethically, speak the truth, demonstrate morality, do excellent work to glorify God. And you know what, Carmen, didn't make the list, make disciples within your vocation. It was a zero, not even one answer on that. And so when we talk about this, we're not talking about wearing your I love Jesus t-shirt to work. We're not talking about necessarily you having to do a Bible study uh, in the morning before uh, work starts. But the idea here is this whether it's people in your literal workplace or who are in the same vocation that you are, who love Jesus, but have never really learned how to reflect God's character through their life, justice, mercy, kindness, grace, those kinds of things, or they haven't learned how to walk in God's ways, how God does things. Like, for example, if you're going to be great in the kingdom, the Bible teaches us you got to become the greatest servant. If we want grace of God to flow in our lives, we need to walk in humility. If we want wisdom, The Bible says it's rooted in the fear of the Lord. So how do you begin to help someone walk in that way? So to illustrate this for you, Carmen, for example, living here in the Nashville area, there's artists that we've walked alongside. One that you may be familiar with who we've walked with for years now is Mandisa. And Mandisa is somebody that we've invested in deeply. She continues to grow. And she has her own what's called sisters group, which is now it would be my granddaughters in the Lord. It's her children in the Lord, where she's passing on to young, budding artists the things of God in light of what they do. So that might help you get a feel for it. Yeah, it makes me um, think about, right, a, a young, I mean, she's younger than me, so, right, young Christian um, woman who is, you know, working in in media in D.C., and I'm thinking, hey, I actually know somebody who used Mm -hmm. to work in D.C. in media, and maybe if I connected the two of them, the person who is further along in her discipleship journey, Sonia, our mutual friend, might be able to disciple, um, you know, Lee 
and then Lee would be able to in turn disciple others in yes. uh, who are Christians in media um, in D.C. because we don't live there, and it's hard for it's hard to disciple somebody long distance unless um, you know there's a high level commitment to that. Talk about that. Talk a little bit about proximity. Yes. So what you said is a hundred percent true. It's always better when you can be there. However. However, in the world that we're living in today with technology, uh, some of these opportunities we have to use like Zoom and other things, Skype like this, it, it, is, it is huge. And we have, through Lionshare, been discipling people since about 2011 via expressions like this. I have a group right now of a dozen that I'm, I'm meeting with from January to June. It's something Lionshare does called a leadership journey. And what we do is I ask for five hours a week commitment where they can watch, read, and listen to things that we give them. And then every other week we do a Zoom call and we process it together. And then I meet with them like next week will be my week that I meet one-on-one with them. So there can, it really is something we need to take advantage of. And distance is no longer an issue. And it's something that we need to lean into. And when you can look someone in the eyes via, you know, Zoom or that kind of thing, it, it, uh, it makes a difference. And so we've been doing it for a decade now. And I would encourage people, if you've got people around the country or around the world that you know need to grow in the things of God, Lionshare has tools. We literally have something called a discipleship journey that is a proven and practical tool that we've used now for 17 years to help grow people, not only to be disciples, but to the point where they can make disciples themselves. It is. Um, it's a wonderful treasure trove of resources. If you have never uh, heard of Lionshare and you've never visited them before, please do so. Lionshare.org. I I love the podcast. I am a podcast listener, um, and I I have benefited. Well, first of all, Dave, I just like the sound of your voice. It's very soothing. So, <laughs> Thank you. Um, but the the wisdom that you are sharing um, on the podcast, Wisdom Unlocked, is just great. I love the conversational um, nature of it. So I just wanted to personally thank you for the blessing that is to my life. Thanks, Carmen. I'm glad to know that you're one of our listeners. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's just terrific. Um, okay, um, let's uh, let's just do one question here at the end that's um, maybe a little just more reflective on the times in which we're living you know, look mm. back over the course of the last year, look ahead to the mm-hmm. year that uh, is now before us, you know, mm. m- maybe the intersection of grief and hope. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's uh, it's been tough. And I- I'll tell you, it's um, it's been tough on us personally as well. We in the midst of all that's gone on, we are tending 87 year old parents and there's dynamics in play, you know, there that that just can make it challenging. So we my wife and I, uh, we've understood all the the strangeness of the times, the extra work of the times, the things that you just can't let slip from your mind. And and there has been a lot of uh, grief. And I do think that we are on the verge of a great opportunity. And I don't just say that to play off the book. I really mean that. When people walked through what they walked through last year, many of them found themselves in a place where they were looking at what do I need to be doing with my life? And the opportunity that's there right now is for people to step back and realize when you go to your work and you are in your vocation, are you actually doing what you were born to do? And the great opportunity I believe that our nation is ripe for right now is the connecting of our calling, our vocation with the Great Commission. 
and blending those two things together. Because if we want to see societal change, we want to see the racial issue change, which it needs to. There needs to be healing. There needs to be a different paradigm. The church can lead out in that. If we want to see a difference in the way that things look, it begins by pouring things of God into people's lives who then God strategically places in settings throughout society where they can, yes, advance God's kingdom, but but hear me on this. I love in Acts where it says Jesus went about doing good. It's time as followers of Jesus we look to better and bless the lives of those around us. Amen. Um, Dave, as, as thank you, thank you so much. Let's uh, let's talk again. I want to remind our listeners that you can find downloadable free resources today. There's given away some great eBooks at lionshare.org, but we're also giving away copies of. The Great Opportunity, Making Disciples of Jesus in Every Vocation. Uh, All you need to do is text the word BOOK to 877-933-2484. Dave Burring, thank you so much for being with us today on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks, Carmen. Absolutely. Um, You do make a difference out there in the world that God so loves. You are an ambassador of his kingdom. You are representing Christ to the world today. And maybe you have just learned in this segment that you are commissioning with Jesus. You are on a co-mission with him. It is the mission of God that people should know him um, and, and that they should be in a redeemed, reconciled relationship with him. It literally changes everything. And wherever you are today, God has already prepared in advance, good works for you to do. He has also poured every spiritual resource necessary for the accomplishing of his will into your life. You literally have everything that you need today to accomplish the will of God. How cool is that? All right. Thank you for investing this time with me this morning on Mornings with Carmen. You can share the podcast with somebody else by going to MyFaithRadio.com and go ahead and text the word book to 877-933-2484 to enter the drawing for a great opportunity. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.